Welcome back to New Money. We're discussing his day planning. My guests are Harry Joffe and Gordon Stewart. If you'd like to call us, 011-484-0468. You can email me on brian at bdtv.co. I apologize for the way Harry and Joffe, Harry and uh, Gordon are dressed. Please, no, no fault of mine at all. Collateral they damage. insisted. They said to me they no. won't be on the show unless they can wear Gordon <laughs> works for me. He has to listen <laughs> to me. Um, what I did find amazing is South African insurers and pension funds are now allowed to increase the exposure to offshore to 45%. I believe that most, most institutions will take this up, uh, this additional opportunity. And Harry, were you surprised at that? No. Uh, Brian, to be honest, it's not as attractive and it's going to be as, as radical change as you think because most insurers are already up to their capacity. I mean, you'll know this better than me. So there's not a whole lot of capacity left anyway. You know, if you look across their life insurance business, their endowment business, their retirement fund business, their unit trust business, Almost all insurers are now very close to that capacity anyway. So, you know, if you close know. Close to 45%. Well, remember, it was 35 plus Africa was 10, so a lot of them were close to 40 anyway. It was 40 before and it went to 45. So, mm. a lot of them were close to 40 anyway with Africa, which has now been collapsed into the overall 45. So, there might be a little bit of extra capacity. I wouldn't say there's a huge amount of extra capacity. Yeah. Well, we got an email for you, Gordon, in Jackie in Hatfield. She said there appears to be a consolidation amongst many trust companies. Mm. How difficult is it to move from one trust company to another? And what are the CGT implications and are the costs of doing this very onerous? Okay, so I think it's she's right. And we are seeing massive consolidations across the world with regards to, to management companies. And there was a, there's a very famous South African bank that, that's just recently sold out as well. I'm not going to mention any names. So, But with regards to how difficult is it to change trustees, Brian, it's actually not a, not a particularly difficult exercise. Typically what will happen is, is that the new trustee will just have to do a due diligence on the principal party of the, of the trust. Maybe let's call it the settler. And if the settler is no longer alive, then it'll be on what we would call the principal beneficiary. Uh, once that due diligence has been done and the new trustee is happy to onboard the client, then the client will then just simply um, send an email or an instruction to the retiring trustee and say, please hand over to this new trustee. Uh, and then the two trust companies then interact with each other and they sort out the transfer of the trusteeship by way of a deed of retirement and appointment. So the easiest analogy that I could use is, so in South Africa, when you do, when you change a trustee from, say, Brian to Gordon, we would change the uh, letter of authority and deal with that through the master. Now, unfortunately, not unfortunately, but internationally, there is no international master. So therefore, it has to be between the trust companies to regulate the terms as to how they wish to hand over this trust. So so uh, not too difficult? Not too difficult. CGT implications? None, None because you're just changing trustees. You're not changing investors. If it's offshore, Brian, we're yeah. talking offshore trust. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and costs very onerous? No, the costs are actually quite cheap. So normally, if I can use a Curo as an example, when we, take on a, when we take over a trusteeship, we do not charge for all of the legal work that's involved to become the new trustee, i.e. going through the due diligence and the deed of retirement and appointment. The retiring trustee will probably charge an extra fee uh, to cover the cost of their portion of the deed of retirement as well as the admin costs for them to close up their files and, and to transfer. It varies from company to company. If I gave you a ballpark figure, maybe somewhere between a thousand pounds to three thousand pounds in yeah. that bracket. 
Harry Ralphie Constantius says, my business partner has died and I had a policy on his life so I could buy shares. I'm now told that his estate was the nominated beneficiary. What happens now? Yeah, Brian, I must tell you, I'm seeing so much of this now because obviously, sadly, a lot more people are dying and all these areas are now coming out. So an insurance policy, you know, is what we would call, and Gordon will remember from our Roman Dutch uh, law school days, is what we call a stipulatio autri, mm-hmm. a contract for the benefit of a third party. That third party is the beneficiary. So if you've got an owner, a life assured, and a beneficiary who's different, and that life assured dies, the insurer pays the beneficiary over the owner. And now this is a problem in this case. So we've got a deceased individual, we've got a named beneficiary on the contract, which is the estate, and we would have to pay the estate. That's our contractual obligation. Mm. Now I must tell you, Brian, we've had a lot of these cases, and sometimes it's an error. So the one case we've had, the broker said to us, it was an error. We never intended the beneficiary to be the estate. We don't know how it got there. And the broker's given us affidavits, and the clients that were left around also gave us affidavits, and obviously some kind of disclaimer. And we might then, you know, in an extreme case, not pay the estate. But generally, we will pay the named beneficiary, unless it's an obvious error. You know, sometimes it's a systems error, where the system by mistake defaulted to an estate if there was no beneficiary and things like that. But all things being equal by law, we must pay the named beneficiary and we will pay the estate for better or for worse. So what will happen to the buy and sell arrangements? You see, the contract will still kick in. There just won't be money anymore to fund the buying and selling of the shares. And that's the problem. So the partner won't be able to say, but you receive the money as the beneficiary. No, because that's not part of the contract. That was a direct payment as a payment to the estate. The buy and sell contract, remember, Brian, says A does, B gets money from the policy and B buys A's shares from his estate. But you have to buy the shares from the estate. You don't just get them. Now B's got no money to buy the shares from the estate. So that will end in tears. So it's not so going to be a good scenario. Any estate planner needs to, and anyone that's involved in, in a business policy needs to carefully look at the beneficiary and make sure that the beneficiary... So Brian, I'll go a step further. Now I can tell you if we can make a call to all our viewers tonight, you should check every year mm. who the beneficiaries are on your policy. It's a fundamental tenant of estate planning. You know, we, have a lov- we had a lovely case, lovely case for me, not for the people involved, where this individual died in his 80s, late 80s, and he's got this policy which has run about 40 years, the family told me, and the beneficiary on that policy is some lady who was not this deceased wife or family at all. He was about 88, so he wasn't uh, playing around. And they did a bit of research, and this was a girlfriend of his from before he got married, and he forgot to change it. Okay. We assume I he forgot to change yeah. it, Gordon, we don't yeah. know. Yeah, but you see, yeah. And that's why it's so important, Brian, sorry, just to finish off, to all of you, please, Check your policies, who the beneficiaries are. There is a beneficiary, it's the correct beneficiary, and you, you don't have his state. Understand, the insurance company will pay to the beneficiary, correct, irrespective yeah. of what the will's. Yeah, correct. Even if the policy. Well, the will's not going to factor in. It we doesn't, look at it the doesn't, doesn't look, come into play. Yes. I think exactly. the other thing with the buy and sell is that, and just to mention, is that often why it's so important, like as Harry said, why it's so important that you check this thing is because you also need to check that the value of the business correlates to the value of the life insurance because we i used to see it when i was an sa where the individual the life assurance maybe was for three million rand in terms of the buy and sell to buy the shares mm-hmm. but the business had now grown to 10 million now you've got a shortfall and you can't then say that there's no i the shares must come to me at three million yeah, exactly it's, it's it'll buy you three million rands worth correct. of shares the other seven million is not going to come so i think it is very important yeah. that you have these things checked on an annual and basis. brian to go the other side of the coin i mean gordon makes a very valid point you know a lot of people find that overinsured, especially now with COVID. you know the business could have dropped in value say by half you're insured for five million your shares only worth two million 
Now you've got a policy which is probably a state duty bill because that exemption will fall away and you could have donations tax. If the contract obliges you to pay five million for a share worth two and a half, you could end up with donations tax yeah. and again a whole nightmare. So the point of COVID now is that you've got to check, and it's not just for estate planners, it's for every one of our viewers. Check your policies, check your contracts, check your business arrangements, because that will all now come out if someone dies. And check your wills, because I came across recently yeah. someone's will, when I to they left so much money to everyone when I totaled it up. It was four million rand more than what they had. Yeah. So some, <laughs> some money had been spent over the years. So you've got to check your wills as well. Yeah, a guy in Parker says, my parents left everything to each other and the estate is still not finalised. What will happen in the event of my mom dying with the estate not yet wound up? And how will the family get the full seven million abatement? Yeah, so Brian, in theory, it's not a problem because, yeah. you know, the law says the second dying gets seven million less what the first dying used. So first dying left everything to the second dying. Obviously, the first dying gets the 4Q, so there's no estate duty. The second dying gets the 7 million. But, of course, the first dying executor has to produce proof of what that estate was and how much uh, estate duty was paid and how much was used, etc., etc. So, in theory, it's very easy. I can tell you, Gordon, every year, for people that write the CFP exams, this question comes up mm -hmm. because it's a nightmare calculation. You've got to work out the first dying is the estate, estate duty, executor's fees, capital gains tax. And then like a few minutes later, you've got to work out the second dying taxes with new base costs, with new executor's fees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this can get quite tricky in practice, but in theory, it's actually quite simple. I don't think she should be too concerned about the fact that one parent has passed away and that the second parent is now perhaps going to pass away before the first estate has been wound up. Because the way it'll work is, is that because she is the heir in the estate, she has acquired that right to those assets. That right is just simply postponed uh, subject to the suspense of condition, which is the fact that the estate has to be wound up first in order for it to pass across to her. So it's hers, it's just not hers yet. And then, and yeah. as Harry's correctly pointed out, the seven million will follow suit. And if they've both passed away quite close to each other, I don't think it's going to be an issue to show that exactly. the letter of executorship and the will that everything went the, to the, the surviving The only trick, Brian, class. I can tell you, and I've seen the CFP exam, are the capital gains tax calculations. Because your base costs, obviously, are Shifts. moving around. Yeah. And, you know, your executor's fees can get quite tricky if they're in community or out of community. If there's an accrual claim, can also, mm. I mean, that's just mechanics. Well, Harry, very simple. you remind me of when I went to university, the first lecture I ever went to was stats. And the professor walked in and he put the questions in. He says, this is the question I'm going to give you the end of the year. And I turned around to my mate Nicky and said, I can't believe he's given us the exam paper. He says, yes, but that's why you yeah, because that's what I'm going to teach you. <laughs> so what you're saying, when you know all about you, you said you can set the CFP exams and get involved. You've told our viewers one of the questions that they're going to get for sure. <laughs> then Barbara and Scarborough said, we can take this one. We're planning on immigrating with retirement annuities. If we decide on cashing them now and draw annuity, where will the tax be paid? Then in three years' time, we'll be able to draw the remaining cash in the RA, or it's better to do nothing for three years and then cash in the policies. Well, once you cash the policies in, once you're starting to draw an income, unless it's up below 50, you can't get the money out. Correct. The capital stays here. Yeah. The income you can take out every month, as yeah. we've discussed. The tax is tricky. Because it's an RA, the double tax treaty won't help you. And that's unfortunately what we've seen, because it's not from past employment. So the tax will be in South Africa. Now, again, it depends on the, you know, the 500,000 tax-free on the lump sum, and it depends on your tax rate in South Africa on the monthly income, because that's taxed at marginal rates. So the tax will be in South Africa generally. And Brian, the final point is, if you wait the three years and you don't retire, so you just leave South Africa, you leave your RA as is, don't touch it, 
you wait the three years so you're no longer tax resident in South Africa, then in terms of that change in the law, you can cash in your RA in full, but then you'll pay tax in South Africa on the withdrawal tables at a higher rate. Guys, we come to the end of our program. There are a lot of questions that I didn't answer. I apologise to Geraldine, to Jenny, to Linda, to Beverly, to Paul. I'll have to bring these two gentlemen back because <laughs> we've got all these questions to answer. Guys, thanks for joining me this evening. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Well, I've spent a lot of time talking about trust. These are being looked at by authorities all over the world. We follow world trends, and for this reason, if you have a trust that has not been re-looked at over the last few years, I advise you to consult with an expert to evaluate whether it's still viable to have a trust and to make sure that all the conditions to the trust are being met. As I said to the guys, Harry and Gordon, thank you for joining me this evening. Hope you don't have to walk out here with those shirts. It's important to note our program is to provide information and should not be construed as advice. Next week's program will once again be dealing with short-term insurance. And if you get need to get hold of me, my details will appear on the screen. I'd like to thank you for watching and good night.